Uh, all right, so I am super honored to be here, super scared to be here. Uh, I spent a lot of years sitting right where you guys are sitting. Uh, front corner seat right there was my seat for a number of years. Uh, and I looked up and saw speaker after speaker come through here and say over and over again, wow, I hope I never have to do that. And, uh, and here I am. So I am uh, very glad to be here with you guys. Uh, very honored. Uh, a couple shout outs. Um, Shout out to Dr. Madawime and Dr. Kapik, who passed my SIP. Uh, it was not very good, but they passed me anyway. I'm very grateful that I graduated. Uh, shout out to the RDs and John, who have encouraged me to do this and be here today. Uh, shout out to my family in the room, who specifically asked not to be named or shouted out. Uh, and uh, most importantly, shout out to K and J, my two faves. Um, Quick note about uh, Jay, big news in our family recently, he has decided he doesn't want to be called Baby Jay anymore. So if you see him, he also requested that he be the one to tell you. So if you see him, just address him as Jay, and that's kind of where we're, where we're going now. Little man is uh, growing up fast. Um, all right, uh, so before we begin, I need to start off by saying I'm definitely not going to be very good at this. Um, I came to chapel on Monday, and that guy literally did not have a piece of paper with him except for the Bible. I'm not going to be uh, as good at that. I'm going to read uh, most of this, uh, just as a, a heads up. I've also already clapped like four times, so sorry about that. I'm going to try and keep my hands uh, still. Um, I also realize that maybe not all of you have Bibles with you, uh, and since I'm skipping around so much uh, in Mark 6, I didn't think to put it up on slides or anything like that. Uh, so what I'm going to ask is that I want you guys to go back and check my work uh, on this. So as we talk through different pieces of Mark 6, go home, uh, look at your own Bibles later if you don't have one now. Um, it's important for you guys to double check me, fact check me, and make sure that I'm on the right track here. Uh, so please open your Bibles to Mark 6, uh, and while you do so, if you do have it, uh, and while you do so, I'm going to open with a quick word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this space, thank you for these people, and thank you for your word. Uh, help us to learn today and become a little bit more like you. Amen. Uh, okay, so before we dig in, I need to explain some of my logic here for this passage. Uh, I'm hoping to talk about rest today. Uh, and I'm making some assumptions as we go into a passage to talk about rest, uh, but I'd love to double check uh, my work really quick, so let me ask a couple questions. First, uh, who here is tired? Yeah, a lot of hands. Okay, good. It's about what I figured. Uh, second question, would you all like to rest? <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, cool. Uh, third question, probably a little bit tougher. Uh, actually, no hands. Don't answer out loud for this one, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and just ask it and move on. Do we ever think to look to Jesus to learn about rest? Uh, even if you don't necessarily think to go to him first yourself, I'm going to go ahead and assume that you're all at least interested in hearing a little bit about how Jesus rested and what that looked like for him. Uh, often we assume the best way to learn from scripture is, to, uh, is through direct commands or clear descriptions of what we are to do, uh, but there's a ton more in here. Narrative is not normative. Dr. Dryden uh, talks about that a lot. Uh, but we can still glean very helpful information about who Jesus is, how he lived his life. If we actually believe Jesus to be Lord of our lives, then we should look for opportunities to model our lives after him. Uh, so I'd love to look at scripture today, uh, specifically a couple of stories about Jesus and talk some about rest. First of all, when we talk about rest, we need to talk about home. Home for the holidays is way too culturally ingrained in us. Uh, and we just assume home is restful. How do we ever get there? Home is not always restful. Uh, it can be in certain seasons, but deep down, we're all actually a little bit stressed about what home for the holidays may look like this year. 
Uh, second, we need to talk about some of the details of rest, like the basics of taking care of our bodies, things like eating, sleeping, drinking water, having space, basics. Uh, and third, and this is probably the most important, if I'm honest, we need to talk about what to do when rest gets interrupted, because uh, we all know that that happens all too often. So please look through Mark 6 with me. There are a couple big stories uh, in here. If you're looking at the text, you can see uh, a long narrative about the death of John the Baptist. You can see stories you're very familiar with. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Jesus walks on water. Um, uh, there's a lot to that. So, but death of John the Baptist, full of all its political corruption, gore, sexual uh, promiscuity and perversion. Uh, that's a conversation for a different time. Jesus feeding the 5,000, uh, amazing story, amazing miracle. Um, miraculous bread and fish, symbolic numbers, disciples consistently not getting who Jesus is. Uh, and of course we have walking on water, uh, the big one, uh, Jesus walks across the top of a lake in the middle of a storm in the middle of the night. Uh, it's pretty wild. Uh, it's all super cool stuff, uh, but there are some other details in here that I want to look at. I want to look at um, not about those big stories, but I want to look at some of the narrative pieces that connect them. Uh, so I picked this passage because as I learn more about Jesus and about what it means to be a Christian, I'm learning more and more that I don't get to just do the things that Jesus did. I cannot cast out demons. I cannot heal people miraculously. I cannot feed thousands of you with bread and fish. I cannot walk on water. Uh, I know I'm supposed to be like Christ, but those don't seem to be options, right? Uh, But just because those aren't options doesn't mean there aren't other parts of Christ's life that I can imitate. In fact, based on the fact that Jesus had 12 normal guys walking around with him, following around everywhere for two years, means there's a lot to be said about what it looks like to follow Christ based on how they interact with Jesus. Uh, what it looks like uh, for Jesus to teach them, to train them, to walk with them. They clearly had a lot to learn, just like me, just like you, just like Jay, maybe not Herb Ward. Uh, but my point here is that we can look at some of these details to see what they were learning to do, how they were growing in their faith, to get a glimpse of what we can do as well. Again, as Dr. Dryden always says, narrative is not normative. Uh, We can't take this too literally for ourselves, but we can see the life Jesus lived, the way he walked, the way the disciples lived, and the way they walked. Uh, And we can learn a couple things for our own lives as well. So here we go, verse 1 of Mark 6. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. Okay, so a lot of uh, pronouns that we need to kind of flesh out here. Some context. Remember, you can't read much of the Bible without looking to other parts of the Bible to understand it. Uh, Where is he going away from? Where is he going to? If we look back at chapter five, we see Jesus bouncing, doing something he does a lot in the gospels, which is bouncing back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. Distance-wise, this lake is like 12 miles long, seven miles wide. So I looked it up. It's about from here to Cookout and from North Shore to the Chick-fil-A in Fordo. That's about, so if you can picture that shape, that's about the shape of this lake, okay? Um, That's going to be important later, so remember that. Uh, Jesus has just wrapped up some pretty crazy miracles in Mark 5, casting demons into pigs, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. Uh, So it's interesting to see Jesus is going away here. He's having great success in ministry. He's just won over the ruler of the synagogue, probably in some important town like Capernaum or something. Uh, And we see Jesus telling people that it isn't his time uh, or that his hour has not yet come. Uh, But at this point, Jesus is fully engaged in public ministry. That's not why he's leaving. Um, He isn't hiding here. We know Jesus often talks about wanting to move on or to go out into the villages. Why? Obviously, applying our ministry standards or goals to Jesus uh, is probably not the right uh, 
probably not the right move here. Jesus clearly had different plans than what his disciples expected of him. We know he had different plans than what the Pharisees expected of him, what the people expected of him. Um, uh, for him, maybe it was just as simple wanting to reach as many people as possible. And I would definitely say that's true. Uh, it lines up with how he talks about his call and his mission to seek and save the lost, right? Uh, quick aside, when you guys get some time, look at Luke 4, 16 to 21 sometime. Jesus goes back to his home church. He walks up to the front of the room. He opens a scroll and reads a couple verses from Isaiah 61. And then he goes and sits back down without saying anything. Everybody in the room is staring at him. And he looks up and says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What a crazy mic drop. I love that. And his home church too. That's incredible. Uh, We'll come back to his home church in just a minute. Uh, Anyway, we get plenty of insight into Jesus' mission and purpose throughout the Gospels. And it seems like Jesus is here to reach literally everyone. So it makes sense that he keeps moving on from town to town. Even as people are just getting excited about him, he is looking to continue to spread his his gospel to everybody else. Uh, But I would argue there's a little bit more about Jesus coming home than just moving on. I'd argue that Jesus gets tired probably not quite the same way that we do, Uh, but his body had limitations and he modeled rest really well for us. He modeled Sabbath really well for us. And maybe more importantly, because we can relate to them even better, Jesus' disciples definitely got tired. Uh, And I'll let's continue to prove that to you as we go here. Uh, Back in the context of our passage, look back at verse one. Uh, I think it's so interesting that we see Jesus return to his hometown so often. How many of you guys have ever tried that? You're worn down, you're tired, maybe schoolwork has gotten heavy, maybe relationships are going wearisome, maybe you're trying to love on someone or minister to someone or care for someone, and you're just drained. So maybe you've tried going home. I've watched many of you try this, so don't try and deny it. I've seen you guys do this. Um, How many of you found it somewhat restful, uh, but maybe home doesn't feel quite right, it doesn't feel quite the same now, it feels different now. Many of you uh, freshmen are about to get to go see family for Thanksgiving for the first time since coming away to college. Um, Are you aware, are you prepared that home might not feel quite the same? Uh, Ask any of your upperclassmen friends, they can tell you that the first Thanksgiving just isn't quite what you might hope. Don't freak out, that's literally what happens to Jesus. Uh, So hopefully we can take some comfort in that and hopefully we can continue to learn from what Jesus does. Look back at the text here. Uh, we see Jesus begins teaching, and the people listening say they start saying things like, who does this guy think he is? We know him. We know who his family is. Uh, pause real fast. Jesus has four brothers who get named here, and sisters who are mentioned as well. Can you imagine being Jesus' literal younger brother or sister? That would be wild. Uh, we know one of them, uh, James, ends up being the leader of the church in Jerusalem after, after Pentecost. He's the guy who wrote the book of James. What an incredible testimony he must have. That would be incredible to get to hear more. Uh, back to Jesus' hometown, they're saying, we know who the, his people are, we know who taught him, we know what kind of work, meaning carpentry that he's done. How is he doing this? How is he healing people? How, how is this the person that we're seeing now? Uh, they were offended by Jesus. Uh, his own home. If you go home for Thanksgiving, you may encounter someone who says to you, don't forget who raised you, or don't let college change you. My friends, if you are following Christ, you will be changed even as he changed those around him. And it, will be, it may be offensive to your home. Uh, and it will not feel like so much like home when that happens. And this is a frustrating, uh, a frustrating reality, but often true reality. Your home is not where you go to for the holidays. Don't get too swept away in the romance of Christmas music that tells you that that home is best. Jesus went home and was offensive. 
And so he had to leave and says he could do no mighty work there and he marveled at their unbelief and moved on. Sounds really hard to me, but that's how Jesus lived. And we can look to him for how to move through what to do when home grows difficult or even impossible. Practical application for us here is not to never go home and it's not to just leave your home as soon as things get hard. Uh, Practical application for us here is to know and go in prepared, knowing that that might be what you find. As you think about heading home for Thanksgiving soon, know that uh, it might be hard and don't bank on it being your rest that you need. Don't bank on home being your rest. The next section of this passage is very easy, interesting. Let's look at verse seven. Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. He equipped them for powerful ministry and sends his partners out into the villages and towns. Uh, Why does Jesus do this here? Uh, Because good ministry is replicable. You should always do ministry with others, even if it's something as small as loving someone difficult on your hall. Lean on each other for that. Always be looking for opportunities to draw other people in and to equip them. Upperclassmen, especially you RAs, uh, you should always be looking for underclassmen who you can pass your ministry along to. Replicate yourself. Jesus does this and the disciples go out and they have great success, amazing. Uh, but something happens, we see Roman interference arise. Uh, we're reminded of a terrible story of Jesus losing his own cousin and predecessor in ministry. Roman interference here looks like Roman pursuit uh, because Herod believes, he starts hearing stories about Jesus and he believes that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. So he's pretty freaked out by Jesus and is, uh, and is after him. So Jesus pulls the disciples back uh, uh, so they, they come home, uh, they've been doing great. They've been doing amazing ministry. They've been casting out demons. They've been healing sick people. They're crushing ministry. They're on fire, spiritual hot. We've all uh, seen that before. Um, and look what Jesus says uh, when they get back. He says, uh, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest. That's verse 31. Um, there's a common phrase in sports called, or a somewhat common phrase in sports called riding the hot hand, uh, essentially saying that if someone is playing well, they will and should uh, keep getting more playing time. Jesus is doing the opposite here. He pulls them out of their work literally so that they can eat. Uh, Jesus is doing, uh, he's pulling them away from the spiritual high uh, because look at the next verse here. It says, many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. Even in your ministry or whatever work you're engaged in, even if you're in peak productivity, you need to eat. Jesus pulls them out of their work literally so that they can eat. Friends, you cannot just keep going. You have to rest. Jesus sees this in his disciples. We all see this in each other. Uh, You have to rest. You have to eat. You have to drink water. Jesus pulls his disciples out so they're forced to rest and eat. And I would add as well to be with him, to be reminded of how they are doing what they are doing. This isn't their own doing. This isn't their own power by which they're casting out demons. This is his authority that he has given to them. Uh, Practical application here is not to get into a boat like we're about to see them do uh, and go run away. That would be reading this too literally. Uh, Practical application of this is to recognize that Jesus looks at you and sees your work and knows that you are more than your work. You need sustenance. You need rest. And most importantly, you need to know who gives you the ability to do what you're doing. Jesus puts them in a boat and they're back out on the water again. Uh, remember that lake we were talking about earlier? Uh, uh, same lake, and here's the crazy part. Just because you need rest from your work doesn't mean your work is ready for you to rest. Uh, verse 33, 
Jesus says, verse 32, uh, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. Verse 33, now many saw them going and recognized them and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Uh, They literally ran around the lake. 5,000 people ran around the lake to meet them on the other side. It's like running from here to cookout. They ran around the lake to the other side to meet them. Uh, They needed rest and they didn't get it. Have you all ever been working late on a homework assignment uh, and as soon as you decide to take a break or as soon as you finish, something else pops up? Another classmate reminds you of another assignment you've forgotten about. A hallmate comes crying into your room late at night. You get a stressful text from your mom or dad. Mom and dad, that one's never happened to me, don't worry. Uh, But this happens all the time, right? And right when we think it's time for us to rest, uh, all of a sudden it's very much not time to rest, right? So what does Jesus do? Uh, Verse 34 when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, what an incredible Lord we have. Jesus is tired. His disciples are tired. They've been healing. They've been literally fighting spiritual warfare. They've been surrounded so tightly they can't eat. Rome is after them. They're out on a boat seeking rest. They went to a desolate place. Desolate literally means deserted of people and in a state of bleak and dismal emptiness. And there's 5,000 people there waiting for them. That's at least 10 times the amount of people in this room right now. Uh, And Jesus had compassion. I pray for that kind of compassion. What a gift that would be. Uh, Says verse 34, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus steps up and he shepherds. Brothers and sisters, our Lord, the one after whom we try to model our lives, stands up and begins to teach. He points them back to God, even in the midst of tiredness, even after confrontation and conflict with home, even after Roman pursuits, even after all of this, Jesus has compassion. I I don't have this kind of compassion. (laughs) Many of you already know that. Uh, Your professors, your RAs, your chaplain, uh, your boyfriends and girlfriends, dare I say even your president, don't have this kind of compassion. But this is what is modeled for us. Uh, Friends, we are called to pursue this kind of compassion. This is the compassion that leads Jesus to miraculously feed thousands of people. It leads him to go on to heal people, to cast out demons. Practical application here is heavy for us. We should do this and we cannot do this. Uh, But I want you to know that if your Lord has done this, when you run out of your compassion, you can go to him and know that he still has compassion for you and for those around you, for those that you are serving. It is this compassion that allows for Jesus to stay behind in this desolate place. He sends the disciples back into the boat and he finally gets his rest, right? He goes up on the mountainside to pray, verse 46. After he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Uh, Rest for Jesus does not look like sleep. After a long day like this, Jesus goes up on a mountain and prays instead of sleeping. what happens, uh, what happens here to the disciples? The disciples can't make it. They're rowing against the wind and not making it across the lake. Uh, I don't know much about rowing boats, but it sounds hard. Uh, and I know that if the wind is against you, it's uh, harder. Uh, and so that's what the disciples are, are battling. They're stuck in the middle of the lake. They're not making headway. So what does Jesus do? He walks out onto the water. He means to pass them by uh, in order to just get to the other side ahead of them. Uh, they see him walking on the water and they naturally assume it's a ghost because that's what I would assume too. Uh, and they freak out. Jesus tells them not to be afraid, certainly burying the lead there, but uh, he climbs back into the boat and the wind stops. 
It is the Lord's compassion that drives him back into their boat to get them safe to safety and rest on the other side. Look ahead now to verse 54 with me. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and they ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment and as many as touched it were made well. Uh, what compassion. Jesus just pulled an all-nighter. He stayed up praying in order to rest, uh, walked out into the middle of the lake, performed a great miracle in order, to, uh, in order to reach the disciples, to protect them. Uh, we've, we've all tried pulling all-nighters before. How many of you are compassionate after an all-nighter? Uh, this, is, this is your Lord. This is what he does. He bears it all with compassion. Uh, we've been rushed with work, uh, with need, with the pressing weight of humans and brokenness. Uh, our Lord has seen that, and he bears it all with compassion. There's much we can learn from Jesus about rest. If you are thinking or hoping that home will be restful, take ministry partners with you and lean on them. Take people with you. When you're confronted by loss and death and oppression, surround yourself with brothers and sisters. If you're busy, take a break and eat. Eat food, drink water, your ministry and your work depend on it. If you need to get away, don't escape to anything busy, and that includes the internet. Go somewhere desolate. Mostly you need rest from people, which means rest will be somewhere away from people. <laughs> Go for a walk outside by yourself. Don't watch Netflix. Don't get on social media. Jesus invites you to come away. If you find yourself in need of rest and yet confronted by more work, look to the Lord and see his compassion. The disciples didn't have compassion. They were grouchy when 5,000 people showed up and wanted food. Jesus had compassion on them. They watched their Lord have that compassion. And when you finally get to rest, uh, spend it with God. Jesus invites you to pray with him as a means of resting. Uh, and when your friends need you, it is your Lord who can help them. It is not you. Jesus is the one who's able to walk out onto the water to save the disciples in a storm. When the cycle seems endless, when the waves keep coming, waves of people, of needs, of work, maybe sometimes literal waves too, uh, when it doesn't seem to stop, it's not us who will conquer or defend or endure. We, like the disciples, we will be tired. We will be caught up in politics and expectations. We will be uncertain of how to help or how to love. And in those dark nights where we are straining and making no progress, it is then that our Lord comes to us and gives us rest. Jesus' presence is that rest. And friends, he has compassion on us. <clears throat> it is that compassion that drives him all the way to the cross, all the way to laying down his own life. It's because he loves us. Us. The rest he gives is not only immediate but eternal. He gives us a true home. He gives us strength to engage. He calls us to come away and rest and to have compassion and to engage. We cannot do this. We cannot figure this all out on our own. Our Lord is our rest. I know many of you are still thinking, I still don't know what that means. I don't know how to rest in Jesus. Uh, we hear that phrase a lot. Uh, keep searching. Ask questions. Uh, go to people who look rested and ask them how, they're, how they are so rested. Uh, learn from them as they learn from Jesus. Keep reading this book. Uh, this was not meant to be read and digested all at once. It's not a textbook. Uh, it's supposed to be readdressed and reread constantly. And do not neglect as asking the Lord for rest. He says to come to him when we are weary and we bear heavy burdens. He longs to give us 
his rest. Uh, I know I need that rest, so please allow me to close out in prayer. Uh, if you guys would bow your heads with me and pray. Jesus, I am uh, humbled by humbled by your leadership, humbled by your work, and by your ministry, uh, by your pursuit of rest. Lord, I know that I am tired. I know that those around me are tired. I know that we need rest. Jesus, give us your rest. Give us your peace and your patience and your endurance. Jesus, go before us and carry us forward. In your name I pray. Amen.